Well, hello there. This is John, one half of Rite of Passage, a literary podcast that examines the connections between books, films, television, and video games. This is episode four, Young Blood, part two. We had a blast recording this episode, and we go to some pretty mystical places. So grab yourself a nice cup of coffee or tea, sit back, and let us be your guide to the wild worlds of Carl Jung's personas. No matter how hard we try and try, I am thou, and thou art I. Welcome to Ride of Passage, ladies and gentlemen, fellow rider dyers. I'm Cal, and as you all are pretty much aware of at this point, we have been working on the Young duology. Young not being, oh, fresh as in, oh, I just popped out of the womb and now I'm some kind of a prod. No, we're talking about Carl Jung, one of the more famous psychologists amongst those that we refer to as the children of Freud, as in people that studied under him, like, in a sort of a Socrates-Plato kind of way. Has a whole nother can of worms, but <laughs> it, anyways, why are we talking about some psychoanalyst from like the 19th, 20th century? Dear listeners, that's about what we are about to find out, or rather, what our interviewer here this week, it's John, is going to attempt to find out about yes. the archetypes this time. Before it was plot points, like with Campbell. But now we are finally wrapping things up with the people that make up those narratives. Because ultimately, in the end, a narrative that doesn't have any people, or at least distinct people in it, is, well, it doesn't leave any impact. It's just a something, something that happened forever ago, or forever in the future, in another dimension. It is the characters within those narratives that truly connects our humanity with the story. So this is the most important, one of the more important parts of writing a narrative. Or mm. just if you happen to be one of our writer, Novu writers right now, why character and character development and the rate of character development, that's why it is so important to nail that right. And if you're gonna start somewhere, you might as well start with young and his theories on persona and the collective unconscious. So, uh, I guess you, so you got any questions, John? Yeah, <laughs> I think you might've already answered a little bit of this one already, but uh, just kind of telling us a little bit more about Carl Jung, since we talked about him some last episode uh, and his concept, yeah, of which he had many, right? He introduced several several yes. concepts, not just yeah, one, yeah, but, yeah, for sure. Uh, you kind of talked into, or you kind of led into uh, archetypes and personas and all that stuff already. So, why don't you go ahead and just dig further into the theory of archetypes and how those show up in narratives? All right. So, for those of you that weren't here for uh, Young Blood Part One. Jung, Carl Jung, the psychoanalyst, theorized that since the average human brain is basically going to be the same all around the world, it should stand to reason that this brain would come up with a lot of similar, like, 
fictions and fantasies and ideas and even narratives. That, of course, would constitute the monomyth. Now, that's more in a macro sense, like a grander narrative of what's going on. But now we're going to talk about the things that add meaning, depth, flesh to those narratives, and that's the characters. Now, Jung believed that even in real life, not just in fiction, that there are certain types of characters that keep popping up in tales all over the world. And I think it's stuff like that that we like to break into and discuss, especially since this is all just to engage with you as an audience, because this is something you can do at home. Yes, this episode is also very DIY. We'll get more into that at the end of the episode, of course. But, uh, yeah, that's basically young. Nice, nice. Okay, so, uh, talk a little bit about young. So what are some common, actually, let me do that without scratching. You talked a little bit about young. So what are some common examples of these archetypes? And specifically how they play out in uh, in pop culture. All right. Well, first, I must note to all of you that even though Young was the guy that got the ball rolling, a lot of archetypes were not necessarily named and manifested until after Young's death. But I'm throwing them in anyway because they are still in the spirit of Young, if not the word of Young. All right. So one that should be relatively recognizable is the like group archetype of something called the five-man band. It's one of my favorite, actually, archetypal things that I find in plots. It's common because you'll often see it, like, from the moment you're just like a little kid and you're watching cartoons on TV, many of the shows are, like, structured this way for the main cast. So what's the five-man band? It is very, very generic. You got the hero. The guy that's going on that whole hero's journey. But then you also got the best friend who is referred to as the Lancer, typically because he's more of a ranged combatant most of the time, and he's almost as good as the hero, just either A, not as good as the hero, or just doesn't have any kind of grand prophesized destiny. Then you got the tank. The tank can either be just really stupid or really intelligent. That's kind of how we got the character of Professor Hulk in the Endgame. But, uh, and now, obviously, uh, whatever her name is, Jennifer Walters, uh, She-Hulk, She-Hulk. in the current show. Yeah, She-Hulk is an example of an intelligent tank, much like her cousin. But, anyways, then we also have an inter- a very interesting uh, particular archetype that shows up in the five-man band is the magician, the mage. Because if you're setting your tale of the past and it's like D&D or whatever, then obviously your mage practices like magic and is a master of knowledge and wisdom and stuff like that. But if you're setting your thing in the future, say, Ravos 2077, so <laughs> <laughs> We will get to that in the next episode, good my guys. But yeah, if you're and I guess Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, you're a magician, and almost 
all of the seasoned edge runners have sort of that five-man band kind of organization. Your magician is your net runner. Kiwi, if I recall from the show, she's off in the distance, kind of. We, she's not supposed to yeah. be found, like, at all. But the whole time, she's just hacking into stuff, creating illusions, distractions, getting into places that the uh, standard goth brain members of the party can't get into. And again, we're going to do a lot of stuff on Cyberpunk 2077 in the next episode. But oh, yes. Yeah. So anyway, that's the magician. There's also a fifth part. The thing about the fifth part is that either A, it appears inconsistently in the five-man band throughout literature, or it's combined with another character, and that's the heart. Mm. So the interesting thing about this is that if you watch something or into a sort of a fandom, like, say, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, while it doesn't slot completely... You could look at those characters and those archetypes, and you can try and find out which is which. Which is a lot easier for the Ninja Turtles, because they basically sing out their archetypes in the theme song. You know, they are not only He's the hero. <laughs> uh, Donatello right. makes machines. That makes him the mage in this context. Raphael is Cobalt Root. He's the, a combination of the tank and the uh, Lancer, really. He is the uh, larger member of the group, but he's also one of Leo's best friends. Michelangelo's a party dude. Well, that makes him a rogue, which is kind of like a combination of just an average guy and a mage. Like, he can do stuff, but it's more physical-based than, like, technological or magical-based. And that's actually going to lead into another trope at some point, but... Yeah. Or, like, let's try another group. Uh, I don't remember the names of the people from the new Voltron show, but every single one of those people fits into a different archetype in the five-man band. So that's a five-man band. I'm going to discuss one more trope now. Before right. we have to move on in this podcast, we don't have yeah. all night. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's another one of my favorites. It's called the uh, Crouching Moron Hidden Badass. What's that? All right. I gave, I've already used my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle allowance for tonight. <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk about Sterling Archer from the hit. TV animated comedy Archer. Nice. Now, I don't know about the rest of your writers, but I am a huge Archer fan. The whole aesthetic of everything where it's kind of like the 60s, like in a, a Bond film, but it's right. also super high tech. So it's, it's kind of an anachronistic society that it exists in. And again, it's a James Bond take, but in my opinion, I think it's done in a more refined, more hilarious way than, say, Austin Powers or something like that. And believe me, I've watched both. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't both say. Archer uh, and Austin Powers. And yeah, I know Austin Powers and Archer do that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so when I say 
crouching moron didn't badass what I am referring to is a character who in general appears incompetent, looks incompetent, acts incompetent like 80% of the time. But when his skills are needed and the chips are down, all of a sudden, he's like the best at everything he does. Like, right. there have been several situations where I think totally the best example of this with Archer is the, this is a fan favorite episode, the episode where they kind of did a crossover with Bob's Burgers because H. John Benjamin is on both shows. In this episode, Archer apparently has been in a color, has amnesia, and now thinks he's Bob from Bob's Burgers. Oh, no. Which is, which is the joke. So anyways, he's at the bar cleaning up and stuff, and he gets attacked by Russian monsters or something, and then he starts speaking fluent Russian. And he's like, wait, I'm just a guy who works at the grill and grills burgers. I... How do I know Russian? And of course, it's because he's Sterling Archer. He's had to study pretty much every language that can exist. So, yeah, an example yeah. like that where Excellent. out of nowhere, someone who thinks like they're just some guy turns out to be quite fluent. And this is less real and relevant to the crush. I guess it's just like crushing word on badass. The character of Mr. Mackey from South Park, the uh, elementary, South Park Elementary's uh, superintendent has been since the beginning of the show. Oh. Anyways, Mr. Mackey definitely seems unassuming or whatever. And like someone who's not going to do anything particularly cool. But then, in I forget which season, which episode... He takes the kids, and the kids are all going down to the Amazon rainforest to, you know, save the rainforest or whatever. It turns out Mr. Mackey speaks fluent Spanish. Yes. Later on, and I know it's probably because of his little fascist bent, but Eric Cartman speaks fluent German. Yeah, that's probably He's why. So <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to question where he got that information, but... Regardless, he speaks <laughs> fluent German. So, yeah. I, mean, I guess that those would be really good examples of Crouching Moron Hidden Badass. Nice. So it's just two, two of the many kinds of archetypes and tropes you can find in literature and just fiction storytelling in general. And if you want to learn about war, because we've only just barely scratched the surface on archetypes and tropes, there is a channel on YouTube called Overly Sarcastic Productions, and there's an entire playlist on their channel called Trope Talk. I would highly recommend you go and maybe take a listen because every possible trope or archetype is listed there and broken down by the host. So when you have time, you should go check that out. Nice. So that wraps up what I have to say about uh, archetypes in general. Okay. <clears throat> well, I don't. I very much doubt that that it does because we haven't even. <laughs> oh yes, we haven't yes, even yes. really gotten to what we're uh, what we're really going to be diving into. So that's definitely some good examples from uh, pop culture of different yes. groups or people who mate uh, or or match maybe your interpretation of those archetypes. But the the 
if we think about it, there there's probably other types of pop culture as well. We haven't really talked about films. We haven't really talked about literature, uh, yeah. which we've talked about both of those plenty on the show in other episodes. So let's get into something yeah. a little more uh, esoteric. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think you've noted while we were planning this episode that there seems to be a pretty strong correlation between uh, the major arcana tarot cards and archetypes that we might see in in our lives. So do you want to unpack that a little bit? Just break that down of of how yeah. this theory of archetypes ties into tarot or vice versa? Yeah. Yes. So when Young speculated that humanity kind of has a collective unconscious that we all draw from it, he didn't just find a gold nugget of psychology wisdom. He found the freaking mother load of psychological knowledge and wisdom. He completely removed from anything Young was doing at the time. Oh, you might have heard of it. This is something that was created like back in the medieval era. The idea of the tarot playing cards was invented. And while there are many different smaller, minor arcana in a deck of tarot, we are concentrating primarily on the major arcana. These are the ones that you probably think of when you think of the various arcana. But the one I want to focus on in particular is, well, the first step in the Thousand Mile Journey, the, the pool. Now, I should probably clarify this. When I say the fool, I don't mean someone who's a total moron. When I say the fool, I mean someone who, like everyone else around him, doesn't have everything figured out yet. But the point of the fool is to leave his foolishness and become enlightened and wise. The fool essentially represents a starting point. It's that first spot, like in Monopoly or something. I mean, technically you could just stay there, but <laughs> I mean, at some point, you're just going to end up losing all your money because everyone will just buy property on your space. Right. So, yeah, so in a situation like that, you have to keep moving forward. Our very physiology reflects Everything just decided to stop and take a break apart from time. That break would last about whatever the smallest amount of time is with us. I don't know, like a nanometer or something like that. And then you yeah. drop dead. Your body has to keep moving forward. And as the fool in the narrative, or as you'll eventually be known as the hero, you have an obligation to move forward and when you move forward on your own personal hero's journey you will run into things that kind of represent the major arcana there are the there's the lovers there's the hierophant who's like a local official i believe emperor empress and these arcana do not just represent steps in your hero's journey, but in some small way, we dig deeper into the definitions of these major arcana, also represent different kinds of people you may meet, both in fictional narrative and in real life. Right. Again, so, still, you might be thinking this is kind of a really odd tangent, 
And on the surface, you know what? I would kind of agree with you. But you never see it coming. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be talking about the Persona games. So, uh, John, do I ask the question? Absolutely. Okay. <clears throat> so, as you, uh, as you serenaded us in, we're going to talk about uh, video games, uh, finally, of course, on this podcast. A shock to any listener, I'm sure. Uh, but let's tie, <laughs> let's tie this all together. Uh, archetypes, arcana, tarot cards, uh, classical characters in narratives and stories. And we've got this series that kind of ties it all up together persona so why don't you tell us a little bit about the persona franchise where it came from and how it's even relevant in this conversation all right well we're gonna start from the beginning the most interesting thing about uh the persona games is that initially they weren't their own series originally i guess technically still there were spin-off games of a larger series called shin megami tensei which is a series where you're like some kind of a knight and you go off and you fight different demons, weird stuff. And Whatever. For the, uh, I forget which version of Shibigami Tensei was the uh, first Persona game. But someone was like, hey, what if we make the knights high schoolers? And what if we make the demons like personal demons or just personalities that already reside within you? And it can be kind of like that uh, that Pocket Monsters thing that really big in the U.S. right now. Where <laughs> we can just like... You can capture your little personalities and then you can use them to fight out demons or something. And thus, the Persona series was born. Uh, so there was Persona, and there's Persona 2, Persona 3. All of these take place in uh, high schools, by the way, different high schools all over Japan. And around Persona 4, they just kind of dropped the Shin Megami Tensei part of their name completely. Because at that point, Persona had just evolved into its own thing. And, I mean, they're still releasing regular old Shin Megami Tensei. I think one came out for, like, the Switch of the 3DS a couple of years ago. I believe so, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, ultimately, if you're asking about Shin Megami Tensei, the first thing you're going to run into is Persona. So... Both me and John, despite really loving the games, have not completed any of the games because they are long. They're supposed yes. to simulate super a long. school. They're supposed to represent two kinds of gameplay. One, slice of life, regular school, high schooler goes to school every year. He studies, takes tests, plays volleyball. Attends to counsel or whatever he does, or she, or whatever. So, yeah, you kind of have to, you're going to be doing these things with these monsters and demons in the uh, collective unconscious, which looks different every game, which is cool. But, <laughs> right. Yeah. But ultimately, like, you're still a high schooler just because you have the ability to fight. Basically, humanity's nightmares in your dreams or whatever. At least now you don't have to use, like, a, like a gun to evoke your personas like you did in 3. 
yeah, three is darkly weird. But anyways, yeah, you're still a high schooler. So you gotta live through the life of a high schooler, managing your relationships with different people, like in your school, in the local village, in your home. But it is in this aspect yeah. where the whole uh, tarot thing comes in. You know, I said that sometimes the tarot represents, you know, certain archetypes you'll run into out in the wild. Well, Persona took that idea and ran with it. If you want, let's say you have a demon from like the Hierophant or whatever, and then you get another card, another uh, shadow, as they call them, who's also a Hierophant. You can combine them together and get a bonus yeah. to like XP or something because they're of the same arcana. Nice. You can even, but you can also add to that arcana if in real life you're friends with the person who represents the Hierophant arcana. So you like triple your XP or whatever if you can get everything in alignment like that. So, huh. yeah. Interesting. Persona, yeah. Crafting these personas is a huge part of the game. It's not just enough to capture personas. You have to take the personas and you gotta smash them together and see what happens. But that, that was just, that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about, you know, narratives and stuff, not a full breakdown of what it's like to play a persona game. That would take, <laughs> it would take much a lot of time. Than we have. <laughs> yeah. For so, sure. Anyways, uh, yeah, that is the big reason that we kind of chose to do this series on a young and the hero's journey in the first seconds is because it's very rare we play a game that eventually, like, comes into something that's actually a major, like, subject and talking point outside of, like, video games and stuff, you know? But right. yeah, this is, a, this is something that you're required to learn in Psych 101, which is a required prerequisite class at college, by the way. So if you're one of those writer diaries to off to college, someone, whoever ends up being your Psych 101 teacher, is going to talk at some point about personas. So, and you, yeah. Oh, and so. Yeah, I was just going to say, he, to kind of like, tie it all tie it all together especially to <clears throat> to the last one is uh the whole point of all this the whole driving force behind everything here is the idea that humanity will kind of create these similar stories and see these similar types of tropes and similar types of characters uh not only in our own narratives but our narratives are reflective of our our lives now I don't want to be shallow or, or, or foil anyone down to one dimensional or two dimensional, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Caricatures of who they might be as a person, but, uh, these are things that do come from real life. They're, they're not just fake things that somebody wrote down. Uh, there's a lot of stereotypes that lead into and inform archetypes to a degree, of course. To a degree. Um, negative stereotypes uh, <laughs> don't really want to be, be plugging those in, in anywhere. But 
uh, archetypes do have a place in, in our real lives. And uh, that's kind of why we're even talking about it, because it's interesting and because of how many places that it it reveals itself in stories and narratives from all over the world and in all different types of medium or media. And uh, we're probably not going to go too much into it, but there is a very minor type of role that Arcana plays in uh, actually the subject of our next episode or part of our next episode. Cyberpunk 77. Uh, there's this girl, I forget her name, but she's a, a She's the girlfriend of the, the guy you do most of the beginning of the game with. Yeah. And you find these weird drawings on the wall. You go to her, Misty. And then she tells you, oh, those are, those are Arcana. You should go look for more of them. And that's a side quest you can do in the game. And yeah, but it's not really, I mean, it's kind of important for the narrative, like near the end of the game. But in general, it's just, yeah. Go here, scan image, image scanned, go to next image. Not exactly the more exciting of quest lines from the game. But again, this is not the Cyberpunk 2077 Cyberpunk Edge Runners episode. Not yet. But we're getting there. We are getting there. Stay tuned, Rider Dyers. So I I guess that's really all we have to say, at least at the moment about it. But again, I want to refer to something I said during the episode. If you want to challenge yourself as a writer, or just not challenge necessarily, but keep your writing mind constantly working and thinking and making new stuff up, think of like your favorite film or your favorite book series or your favorite game series. And then maybe possibly download like a mm. copy of like the hero's journey or just watch through a whole bunch of uh, trope talks again overly sarcastic productions highly recommend and try and find those different archetypes and plot points in the stuff you like I mean no one's gonna follow it verbatim because then every movie would basically be the same but it is a lot more common than you think and if you just look Instead of just watching you look for those things, chances are you'll find at least one. Absolutely. And, and I guess that wraps us up, Ryder Dyers. I'm Kel. I'm John. Oh, by the way, Kuju says hi too. Yeah, of don't course. forget to check out our don't forget to check out our Twitter where he plays through many of the games that we talk about on our show. But Absolutely. Yeah. From all of us and Kuju. We'll see you in the last episode of season one. All right. Which is next, the next episode. The last one. Already the finale. Season one finale. Already here. Season one finale. We have, we've made it. We've made it to... We've mostly hit five episodes, too. We can expand our reach to Spotify. Absolutely. So, I guess we'll hit you up wherever you end up listening to us. So, uh, good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.